We welcome you to the media ministry of Denton Bible Church. I'm going to ask you to turn with me as we can read together the passage tonight in Mark chapter 2. And I'd like to read verses 1 through 12. Mark chapter 2, if you'll look along with me. Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no longer room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, said to the paralytic, son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, why does this man speak that way? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus Aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, your sons are forgiven, or to say, get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out into the sight of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we've never seen anything like this. Jesus performing one of his wonderful miracles that we read about all throughout the gospels. Now in Mark chapter two, this is the beginning of five different episodes in these words and the following words. Five different confrontations with the Jews, the religious leaders of the day. There's a, there is an ambassador that's following Jesus. It's kind of like they were trying to sneak in wherever he was. They would go to this place and they would go to another house where he was at. They would go to wherever Jesus was teaching. And what they were doing, these Jewish leaders, they were trying to catch Jesus in his words, trying to catch him in a fault so they could have legal reasons to accuse him, arrest him, and stop him from speaking his words. And uh, everywhere he went, as you know, the scripture rehearses the fact that no one ever spoke like this man. They're here in this group. We don't know how many, but they came from all around, a group of people trying to catch Jesus in what he was saying and doing. Now, this passage is one of my favorite in all the scripture. Uh, It is a story, a literal happening of something that Jesus knew, uh, an appointment that he had scheduled, because our steps are ordered by the Lord, amen? The Bible teaches us that for good people, our steps are ordered by God. And when we read about blind Bartimaeus, Bartimaeus sitting by the roadside, that's not an accident. God had that preordained and he had those appointments for us, just like he did for them. And this is a beautiful example of a group of people that loved a friend, that loved a friend, and we'll see what they were willing to do. In the first verse that I read to you, it said he went back to Capernaum. Remember, that's, that's kind of like home base for Jesus and the, and the apostles. 
Jesus wasn't raised there. He was raised in Nazareth uh, in the countryside there. But uh, Peter's home was there, and it was a place where the disciples would go, and as they go out and preach in other cities, they would come back to Capernaum, north of the Sea of Galilee. Some some of you have probably been there. You've actually probably looked down into what they believe is part of Peter's home underneath those glass uh, dome there, and it's a beautiful thing. So they're coming back, and it says that afterward, it was heard that he was home. Now, one of the versions says, Jesus was in the house. And I couldn't help but think back during my high school days. I'm gonna tell you our mascot. I was the Breckenridge Buckaroo. Isn't that cool, you know? Doesn't sound like a mighty lion or something like that. We were buckaroos. We had a a guy on top of our school, a, a guy riding a bucking bronco and wearing a cowboy hat and all the shaps and everything. And that was our mascot. But a lot of times when our team came on the field or our basketball team came into court, the cheerleaders led us and they said, the bucks are in the house. And when I read this right here, it is the scripture saying, Jesus is in the house. You remember when, it's, when, when we would read or we would hear about um, Elvis has left the building? You know, it's time for you to go on home, turn out the lights because Elvis has left the building. Someone important is no longer here so you can go on. Well, this is announcing Jesus is in the house. Jesus is in the house. And so there's an excitement, there's a buzz. When, when they said the bucks are in the house, that meant we came ready to play. Now we didn't always win, but it was our house and we had to defend it. Whatever your mascot was, I'll bet you did the same. It said, as many were gathered there together. Now, this is a crowd, evidently, that just maxed out the rooms that they had to be in because it says there was no longer room, not even near the door. It would be like a room like this, but there's absolutely no place for anyone else to get in. Have you been to a place like that lately? Uh, I remember going, uh, I used to take groups of youth to Six Flags all the time. And oh my goodness, you'd be so crowded and you'd wait in line and people are pushing and shoving and everything. And I thought, you know, what do I do this? About 25 years in a row, I thought, I'm gonna think about this next year, but we always had a good time. It's a crowd. There is not room for anyone else to get there. Now that's a good thing. They need to hear Jesus. They need to hear his preaching and what he is preaching. And it's a good thing that the crowd is there. But we're going to see in this story, though, there is a disappointment about this meeting. It goes on and it says, there was no longer any room, not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. I want to make a point right there. What was Jesus' message? Uh, It uses the word singular. He was preaching the word. He was preaching the gospel. He was preaching the truth about himself. Uh, He wasn't running for political office. He wasn't trying to get popular. He wasn't fundraising. When was the last time somebody said, hey, we've got a dinner. Uh, We want you to come and be with us. Would you come? And it's a free food and everything. And you get there and you find out it's a fundraiser. And they didn't tell you. They hoped you brought your checkbook with them. Jesus isn't raising funds. He's not entertaining them. It's not a concert or a a place where a comedian would come. And he's not criticizing them. He's not standing up there and, and pointing out all their faults. He's speaking the word. 
And guys, that's what the church has to be faithful to. We do not have to entertain people to get people to come to church. We will cease being the church we're supposed to be if we do that. We shouldn't be up here criticizing and browbeating people. Uh, I'm very grateful for Tommy. A lot of times he said, I never had a coach that had to yell at me. And I don't believe that I need to yell at anyone else. Now, God can yell at us in our heart, can he? When the Holy Spirit needs to, to uh, convict us, he has no problem doing that. But Jesus was preaching the word to them. We have to make sure and we have to check ourselves over and over and over again that we preach the word. If we get away from the Bible, we get away from orthodoxy, we get away from truth, we can't ask God to pour his blessing upon us. So Jesus was preaching and speaking the word to them. And they came. Remember the movie a long time ago? If you build it, they will come. <laughs> and talking about a baseball field out in the cornfields of Iowa, wasn't it? And, and uh, when they built it, all of a sudden, these people who lived a long time ago came walking out of the corn and played these baseball games. And it was an entertaining movie. But it says here, they came. I also believe one of the truths that we need to hold on to is that God is the one who brings people to church. We need to do everything, as we're going to see in this passage, to love people and to bring them to church. Fathers, provoke not your children unto wrath, one version says, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. One of the, day, one of the ways dads can be to their children what they ought to be is bring them to church. I know some dads that send their family to church that doesn't work. And it says, they came. God is the one who truly brings. I'm convinced that if people just come to church because a, another person asks them, that same person will leave a church because of a person's actions. But when people come to church because God has brought them, and that's what I always tell everybody, you go where God wants you to be. Because if God brings you to a church, you can't get those people out of there. They know that God has brought them there. They're planted. They're ready to serve. And it says, they came. God brought the crowd. And it said, it, they came, and it's uh, bringing to him a paralytic. Now, we don't, uh, your Bible may say a man who had the palsy. It, it, he had an affliction where he couldn't walk. Now, I've never been really like that before. I've been down a few days before under medication or after a surgery, but... I don't know what it's like. I don't know what it's like to be blind like we looked at, talked about before. I don't know what it would be like to not be able to hear at all. I have great appreciation and compassion for people that, that are handicapped in one of those ways. But here is a man who, who can't walk. He has a disease that has crippled him. We don't know how long he's had it. He could have had it from birth or he might not have had it that long. We don't know. And... If you were his friend and you knew about him, you had probably heard that there's a man named Jesus and he's doing miracles. He's healing a guy's eyes that were blind from birth. Uh, we're hearing all kinds of stories about this. Is this the Messiah? Because the Messiah, it was prophesied in the book of Isaiah that he was gonna be able to do miracles that no one else had done. And if you loved your friend, you would want him, him or her to be like this one. It says, they brought to him, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. 
The title of this message is just simply One Born of Four. One Born Carried of Four. That's a great name for a ministry, by the way. One Born of Four. Uh, I actually led a ministry like that before in the church where I was at before. Uh, we, we committed with a group of people that volunteered that when someone in our church, a family or someone, had a crisis situation and they needed the brothers and sisters of the church, that they could call the leadership of the church and then I would call members of that group and all I had to do on the phone was say, one born of four. And these men and women were ready, they would say, where and when? And I would tell them, so-and-so's house, seven o'clock tonight. And we committed for four, at least four adults out of that group to run to each one of those situations in our church. Did you catch all that? A group that volunteered to be one born of four, like this group here of these men carrying their friend. Somebody called the church with need. I would say one born of four. They would say where and when. And at least four adults would run to that family situation, that crisis situation, and try to minister to those people. And God blessed it. God blessed that ministry in our church. Oftentimes, I was the fourth one that showed up. And he had already used men and women of our church to bless that family and to help them, encourage them, meet their needs. But I want you to look a little closer at this. A paralytic carried by four men. Now, I really could do an object lesson here tonight and grab four of you men and have a pallet up here, ask Steve Johnson just to lay down there and take a nap for a little while, and have you guys carry him around the building for about 30 minutes. Because most likely, it was a struggle and a strain. Probably had ropes on each side or the ends of that cot pallet that he had. These men might have been strong, but you can only do so much picking him up by ropes and carrying this man. We don't know how far they have come, but they had heard about this Jesus. And I just want you to think about how much love did they have? Uh, they might have come up there and said, we can't carry him that far. That's a long way. Some of them probably said, no, we can. When are we going to have another opportunity? When's Jesus going to be close? I tell you what, I'm going to do everything I can. Well, I will too, if you will. Well, I will too. And four of them said, let's just carry him. They were willing to do whatever it took for their friend to be close to Jesus. I want you to take just a second and look around you if you're sitting with friends or think about people you know or if you're tuned in online. Who do you know in your life that is consistently bringing people to Jesus? They're connecting them with Bible studies. They're introducing them to other Christians. They're bringing them to church with them. Do you know of some people? Some of you probably can point to somebody sitting around you. Shouldn't we all be doing that? I, I've got to ask myself and ask you the question. Is, is that a priority in your life that you want your friends, your family to be close to Jesus? And my second question is, are you willing to do whatever it takes for them to get there? These men evidently were. And so I can just see how excited they are. And when you get men and women excited to do something in the Lord, they're pumped up and, and they're, they, they are, are ready to go. But you can carry a grown man just so far with a rope on a pallet. And I'll bet you these men are worn out. 
They might see the room, the house where they, where they heard Jesus is at, and it's getting closer and closer and closer, and maybe just had enough strength to get in there. We don't know. And then when they get there, the paralytic carried by four men, verse 4 says, being unable to get to him. Do you have disappointments in your life? I truly believe that our disappointments are God's appointments. Many times the things that happen in our life that disappoint us are God's way of saying, this is all in my plan. I've got something better for you. I've got an appointment that I will cause to come to pass. Be faithful. Trust me. It looks like a disappointment now, but God, can he make all things good? Do you truly believe that God could take the worst thing that the enemy in the world could mean for someone and God could make something good out of it? If you ever question that, you look right past me as what's behind me. That cross is the worst thing that a human could ever do to another human. Roman crucifixion is hideous. It is barbaric. There's nothing and to do it to the Son of God, the sinless Son of God, that's the worst thing humanity could ever do. And yet, how many of you got crosses around your neck right now? We've got them all over our houses. We've got them here. Because God turned the worst thing that man could do into the best thing that the Son of God did for us. So he can take our disappointments and our struggles. But can you imagine how disappointed these men were? They've carried him. They have labored. They were willing to do whatever it took to get them close to Jesus. Surely there's going to be room for him. Surely when people see uh, he, he is on a pallet and he's paralyzed, somebody's going to give up their seat and let him. And nobody is. They can't even get in the door. How discouraged they must have been. You know, I truly believe that this man's ailment is a picture of the state of man. What could this man do for himself? This paralyzed man could do nothing for himself. We don't know anything about him. He doesn't talk in this, this, uh, this story. We don't hear uh, whether he has faith or not. We'll talk about that in a moment. We don't know very much about him at all. We don't know whether he was coming for Jesus to do a spiritual work in his life or he was just coming for a physical healing. We don't know. We do know his friends loved him enough to do whatever it took. And I wanna ask you, are you willing to love people enough to do whatever it took? I went to a grocery store line one time. There was a young girl that attended our church before. She hadn't been in a long, long time. And I said, would you please come back again? She said, well, I might. I said, I believe you. I believe you keep your word. And it was back when we had paper sacks. You remember then? We don't have those anymore. But I pulled out a pen and I grabbed a paper sack and I said, sign your name on this paper. She looked at me so funny. She said, why? Because I said, because I believe if you give your word to me, you will come. So she signed her name and she showed up, came to church after that. She needed a little encouraging. Are you willing to do whatever it takes to encourage others to get close to Jesus? These men were. Uh, this man couldn't do anything for himself. Do we really have capacity to do anything for ourselves? Now, uh, in sanctification, we obey. God gives us strength by the Holy Spirit to obey him. How much work did you have to do in your salvation? Let me describe it like this. How much 
effort, planning, and of your decision did you have being born the person that you were? Did you pick your race? Did you pick your family? Did you pick your parents? Did you pick your siblings? Did you pick your name? Did you pick the time in history that you were born? Did you pick the location, the house that you would live in? No, we didn't have any say in that, did we? It was all things done by someone else on our behalf. Well, you know what, spiritually, when we're born again, how much do we have to work in that? The Bible says that no man can come to the Father to Jesus except the Father draw him. No one can come to the Father except through Jesus. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come except through me. So that also is a work that God does for us. We don't cooperate with him. We don't decide, you know, heaven's waiting whether we're gonna decide. No, God does that for us. Now, sanctification, we do have a lot to do with that. We do yield to the Holy Spirit. We do obey. We give our heart, our mind, our soul, our strength, our will to the Lord. But salvation We don't have anything any more to do with it than you were born, the race you are, the gender you are, the last name that you have. Well, here, this man could do nothing. And I believe it it literally is a picture of us as mankind. Apart from Jesus, he said, we can do nothing. I can just picture these men. They're worn out. Boy, they're probably sweating. They are tired. They get to the place And there is no room whatsoever. What would you be tempted to do? I probably would have thought, well, it must be the wrong time. We thought God was in this. We thought he wanted us to bring him, but evidently we didn't listen to the Lord as closely as we should. It's the wrong time. Uh, We're too late. Ever felt like that? Somebody's life, you, you want to do something, you want to encourage them, you want to love them. I still don't know why we wait till someone passes and have their funeral to say how much we love them. Do it now. Do it before they're gone. Say what needs saying. Pray what needs praying. Do what needs doing, and God will bless you for that. The paralytic man can't help himself at all. He's in desperate need of a work that's much greater than him, and you and I are too. We are in desperate need of a work that is too great for us. Being unable to get to him. There could be some of us here tonight or somebody listening that feel that way. I've tried to get close to Jesus. I've tried to read my Bible. I've tried to pray. I've gone to church. I've tried and no matter what I do, I just cannot get close to Jesus. I see my friends have a relationship and their life is different, but I've tried and I just can't do that. Well, I wanna encourage you again. None of us can, apart from the work of the Savior that loves us more than anyone. These men did everything they could. And I want to ask you, are you willing to do something drastic? Look what happens. Being unable to get to him, they, because of the crowd, they removed the roof. Now, I literally picture that as the preacher standing in the pulpit as Jesus was probably sitting down on a chair or something because they usually uh, would do that, rabbis teaching in a chair. If you go over there to Jerusalem right now on the Temple Mount, you see plastic Walmart chairs all over the Temple Mount where those teachers sit in them and people come to listen to them. 
Jesus is teaching, he's preaching the word we've already read, and something falls down from the ceiling and hits him on the head. Now, Jesus probably is not phased by anything. He knows everything and nothing's gonna rattle him. But I just picture Tommy on Sunday morning or maybe here in a few minutes, we hear something going on up on the roof and something comes, insulation starts falling down and you are looking at it and I'm looking up to see what's gonna hit next and, and maybe some boards or some tile or something comes falling down here right while we're studying God's word. That's exactly what happened that time. Something's happening up there. I was sitting in the main auditorium years ago in the church and as you'll notice, this is all black up there. Well, there in the main auditorium, there's a catwalk where people can walk all the way around up there. And so Tommy's preaching on a Sunday morning and I catch the sight of somebody up there walking on that catwalk. And I, I can't even listen to Tommy because I'm thinking he's gonna fall. Uh, we're gonna see somebody fall right down on the carpet. And what had happened, it, had been, it was raining, the roof was leaking and he was putting something up there to catch the rain so it wouldn't come down. Picture that. Literally, these guys said, we may be too late. It may be too crowded. We might've got the wrong time for the service, but we're not taking that for an answer. We are gonna do whatever it takes to get our friend close to Jesus. And guys, that's what we need to do too. We need to be so evangelistic that we're willing to do something drastic to get those we love close to Jesus. I can just see it. Here comes tiles falling down and some of the, the pillars maybe that they had or the the, the ceiling joists, whatever it was made out of, mud and, and pitch or whatever they used, and it starts falling down there. And can you imagine that? Because when something happens that's distracting in the service, it's kind of hard to listen to the preacher, isn't it? You know, you can't help but look at that. And so everybody's eyes are going up and looking above Jesus and things falling off the roof, and he just keeps on preaching, just keeps on preaching. And all of a sudden, people look up, and there is a cot, a bed, literally coming down out of the roof. Now, the houses in, in Jerusalem, in, in the, the cities, a lot of them were built connected to one another, and you actually had a room on top because you would go out there and it would be an extra room, the cool of the evening. A lot of uh, living was done on top of those houses. It could have been they went into another house, came up on the roof, or could have been most likely stairs on the side of the house that led up to the top. Have you ever carried a full-grown man who cannot help himself on a pallet up a flight of stairs? Or maybe two flights of stairs if it was a taller building? These guys get up there, they're tearing that roof apart, and all of a sudden, this pallet starts coming down. And I believe they, they pictured it, they measured it to where he's coming right in front of Jesus. Now, I don't know about you, I've been preaching from time to time. When my son was about two years old, he and my wife are sitting right over here and I'm preaching about something. I can't even remember what it was. And he escapes mama. And he comes out of the pew and here he comes to daddy. And those little bitty jeans are just waddling, you know, coming up here. He was coming to daddy. I, I get flustered sometimes or I get uh, uh, interrupted sometimes. I, I picture Jesus saying, he keeps on preaching the word. And they're lowering him down, lowering him down, keeps on preaching the word. Nothing's going to trouble him because he's the Lord. And this man is lowered right down in front of him. How many of us would have never seen the miracle that's about to take place because we'd have said, no, it's too late, wrong time. We'll try to do it 
another day. Have you ever put off something? Not long ago, there was an opportunity to go visit someone and uh, someone said, well, let's go tomorrow. They didn't live to tomorrow. We went that day and I'm so glad we did because we wouldn't have been able to see him tomorrow. So be careful and don't put off tomorrow what the Lord's putting on your heart to do today. These men were willing to do whatever it it takes and it says they removed the roof above him. So it's right above where Jesus is at. It's not like it's over there in the back corner somewhere. And when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. A lot of roof (laughs) had to be removed for the size of a bed of a full grown man. There's a lot of work involved. These men were willing to do whatever it took. Oh, I know you do, and I'm not trying to be critical here, but I've seen times when someone comes to church that might not look like us. They might look a little different, different kind of clothes or from a different place, and oh, be careful. We had some friends move across the street from us, and Went to meet them and uh, uh, said, hello, how are you? Come to find out they were from Salt Lake City. Uh, she'd been a Mormon. And I said, well, welcome to the neighborhood. I'm a pastor at Denton Bible Church. We'd love for you to come and visit. And normally the answer would absolutely, absolutely be no. But she said, we would like to do that because we're interested in finding out. You talk about answer to prayer there. We were so excited. They came to church. They didn't get to sit with us. I was teaching a class. We told them uh, about the service. They came. They had a little baby holding in their arms. The little baby, uh, you know, couldn't make very much noise, but a little bit. And they said they came to the church. The first time husband and wife, mom and dad, had ever been at a Christian church, they walked in and sat down in the pews. Their little baby made a few cooing noises, and a couple in front of them turned around and gave them an ugly look. Because their little baby made a little bit of noise. And that couple got up out of the church, went back home, never came back to church again, and moved back to Salt Lake City. See, I think in America, we've gotten so accustomed to things being in our comfortable world like we want them. And I tell you what, we've got to be careful. Because we're dealing with people's souls. The roof's falling down. A man's coming out of the roof and comes right in front of Jesus. And look what it says in verse five. And Jesus, seeing their faith. These guys are serious. They want their friend to be close to Jesus. They don't know what's gonna happen, but they just know we want him close to this one who can make the difference in his life. Jesus, seeing their faith, This is taught a lot of times that this man didn't have any faith. We don't know that. He might have had more faith than all the rest of them. But Jesus noticed the friend's faith. And that's what you and I can be to one another. You guys go to school with, we work with, we have people in our neighborhoods, we have people in our families. They're waiting. I remember in seminary, a girl was 33 years old. She said, I had never, ever been told anything about Jesus my whole life until my boss told me the gospel. 33 years old, and she had never heard it before. Many people are waiting. They're just waiting for us to care about them, say, would you come go with us to church? The converse of what I told you a a while ago about a neighbor that moved back to Mormon country. Uh, We had another house opened up 
in our neighborhood. And Holly and I have been praying, would you let someone move in that is uh, receptive to the gospel? Would you let them be Christians, if it be your will, so we can have some good neighbors? We got there. I saw a man walking around the front yard. I went and introduced myself. We said, hello. Uh, we had him over for dinner, and we just said, we, we want you to know we've been praying for you. And this young couple with a little, old, uh, cute little baby said, we've been praying for you. We prayed, God, would you give us a house in a neighborhood where some Christians are that we can have fellowship? And I said, well, let me introduce you to some other young couples. And, and they're already in a Bible study. They're already coming to church on Sunday morning. They're already in uh, one of their small groups. They're already going to have their baby dedicated at the next baby dedication. See, that's what something God does. But we've got to be intentional. Wouldn't you want someone looking for you if you were lost? Well, these men loved, and Jesus said when he saw their faith. Now, it's important to realize that uh, our faith can be a blessing to somebody else. Did you know that? All throughout the scripture, where Joseph was at, God blessed the country. Uh, where Christians are at, God can bless the country, the neighborhood, the family. Second Chronicles seven fourteen. it's quoted all the time. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face, turn from their wicked way. I'll hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. That's not even the rest of the people praying. It's God's people, and he can bless the people around. So in this case, God's gonna bless this paralytic man because he sees faith in his friends. One thing I wanna mention to you here as we getting close to the end of this Sometimes God gives us what we need before he gives us what we ask for. Sometimes, now God hears our prayers. In this election, God's heard all the prayers of the Christians around, around the country. In uh, circumstances where this virus, God's heard all the prayers of his people, there's no doubt. But sometimes God gives us things we need before he gives us what we want, what we ask for. I don't know what this man really wanted. Was he praying, could I have my sins forgiven because I'm a sinner? We don't know. Is he praying, maybe he could heal me like he did the blind man? We don't know. All we know is that Jesus said his friends had faith and they had faith enough to get him there. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son. Now we can't run over that word. We can't skip over it. He didn't say sinner. He didn't criticize this man for being a, a, a reprobate. You are a lost person. Do you realize how lost you are? He calls him son. That's a term of endearment. That is compassion from Jesus. Son. Your sins are forgiven. Now guys, what Jesus did right there is a spiritual miracle that people couldn't see on the outside. Son, your sins are forgiven. That man might have been coming to get close to Jesus because he knew he needed his sins forgiven. I may be a paralytic the rest of my days, but I need my sins forgiven. And if this is the Messiah, he's the one to do it. We don't know. Jesus said, your, your sins are forgiven. Now, wait a minute. His friends probably brought him for a physical healing. They could have said, now, Jesus, that's good, but that's not what we're coming to ask you about. That's good. Thank you for doing that. But 
What about his legs? Those that saw could not see a spiritual healing. But what he's about to do, they're going to be able to see a physical healing. Um, The physical is inferior to the spiritual. If it wasn't, Jesus would have come and he would have healed every physical ailment that everybody has that calls upon his name. If that was the intent, then we wouldn't need hospitals because they would just be healed. That's not the superior. The superior is the spiritual. The inferior is the physical. And why did he heal physically many times? Let's see. But some of the scribes, verse 6, were sitting there in reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? I thought about Psalm 1. Remember the admonition to not sit in the seat of the scornful? Well, they're sitting in the seat of the scornful. Why does this man speak this way? He is blaspheming. You know what that constituted? That meant that someone was claiming to be God and that God could forgive sins. Only one that could forgive. Now, the only way Jesus wouldn't be blaspheming is if he wasn't God. If he was just a man, he would be guilty of that. The only way he wasn't guilty was because he was God. He's blaspheming. And notice it says, Mark, immediately. Here's number 11 of the 47 times he uses immediately in this book. Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, he knew their thoughts. Psalm 139 tells us he knows our thoughts before we have them. Before we have a thought, Jesus knows as he knew theirs. He turns to them and he says, why are you reasoning about these things in your heart? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up, pick up your pallet and walk? Well, really, one is just as easy as the other for Christ, but one is much more visible. Your sins are forgiven. They may not look any different on the outside. But to say, get up off that pallet and walk, and they do that, that's something drastic that everybody could see with their eyes. Jesus says, which one's easier to do? In verse 10, but so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. You want to know why he did physical miracles? That's the the answer right there. The physical miracles prove that he was the son of God and he had power on earth to forgive sin. It always points us back to Jesus. That's the reason for the miracles. He said to the paralytic, I say to you three things. Get up, pick up your pallet and go home. Get up, pick up and go home. Jesus didn't put on a show. He didn't tell the man, you stay here because we're going to, We're going to advertise this. It's a medicine show. We're going to get a big crowd and we're going to parade you around and show. He said, go on home. Go home to your family. He wanted them to have the blessing and it wasn't time for him to be revealed who he was yet. Verse 12, he got up and immediately, there's number 12, picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone. Can you imagine looking at that man? You've watched him come down on the ropes, on the pallet. He's paralyzed. And when Jesus said, get up, pick up your bed that you were laying on, the man does it. I'll bet every eye was looking at that man. And then they look up to Jesus and they look back at that man. They knew they'd been in the presence of a miracle. Immediately, he picked up the pallet, went out on the side of everyone so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God saying, we have never seen anything 
like this. Are you willing to do something drastic? I want you to really think right now and this evening when you say your prayers and this week, is there someone that you know deep down in your heart you could influence? If you invited them to church, they would come. Somebody in your family you haven't reached out to in a long time, but you know that if you truly did, you could make a difference in helping encourage them to get close to Jesus. These men were willing to do something drastic, whatever it took, and God honored that. And that paralyzed man walked out of that room that day. I bet they just parted and let him walk because they knew something special had happened to this man. One born of four. That's all of our ministry, isn't it? We ought to be those men carrying our brothers and sisters, carrying the lost, everyone that we can to get them close to Jesus. I want to honor a lady before we have communion tonight. Her name was Wanda Johnson. She's already in heaven, I believe, right now. When I was a little boy, she would go around the city where I grew up, and when a certain church was going to have one of their revival services, their youth revivals, she would have uh, one of those cars. Now, young people, I want to tell you, uh, back in the 60s and 70s, we had cars. We didn't have these little bitty golf cart-sized cars that we do now. We had huge cars. They were made out of metal. Uh, I always wondered why, why hailstones didn't hurt the cars back then. They were made out of such thick metal, a hailstone wouldn't ever hurt them. These were cars you didn't drive. You just kind of aimed them down the road. I mean, you just did like this. One of my first cars was like that. It was huge, like trying to drive an airplane on a highway. And she had a big old Cadillac and she would go to the neighborhoods and she'd pick up children of all neighborhoods. She picked me up before. Let's go to the church, the revival. And I heard about Jesus there. I'd already asked Christ in my heart at that time. But I'll never forget Wanda Johnson. I wonder, her son's name is Sean. He could be listening on, online here tonight. Sean, if you are, God bless you for your mama because she loved those children. I wonder how many got saved because Wanda Johnson went around the neighborhoods and picked up children and took them to the youth revival at the church. There's somebody you could make a difference this week in their life. Bring them to church next week. Invite them over to your home. You do something drastic, even if you have to tear the roof off and you watch what Jesus will do. Mark, and you and your team, would you come forward? We're gonna prepare for communion in just a moment. And this is a great story to look at before we celebrate communion because what Jesus was gonna do for us in dying on the cross, being buried in the grave and being raised again from the dead is the, the power of salvation. It's the miracle of salvation. This man, I believe, if we get to talk to him in heaven and we say, well, how did your legs get healed instantly, immediately? He may say, well, yeah, I'll tell you about that, but let me tell you something else first. Jesus took my sins away that day. Let me tell you about that because it's more important. Oh, folks, if you're here tonight and you don't know Jesus, just count the very fact that you're here, a work of God in your life already. We'll pray with you. We'll listen to you. Tell us your story. We'll encourage you. We'll do everything we can to get you close to Jesus. And ask him to do the miracle that only he can do. If you have uh, your communion cup, if somebody doesn't have one, would you raise your hand and we can have somebody come right back here. 
Would somebody help him, please, get one of these? I want to give you a little tip. There's a cellophane top. If you'll pull the cellophane top up and then the plastic lip here, if you'll push it down ahead of time, you'll thank me for it because otherwise you'll be washing your shirt tonight with a red (laughs) grape juice stain all over it. The Lord revealed to the Apostle Paul the night that Jesus was betrayed. Uh, in, at the Lord's Supper, he sat down with his disciples and he offered them bread and the cup. And Jesus told them that he said, I will not drink of this cup or eat of this bread again with you until I eat it with you anew in the kingdom of God. Now he had told them that he was going to be delivered to the chief priests and the elders, he was going to suffer, die, and be crucified. But they didn't understand that. They didn't know what was going to happen to him. And just picture Jesus with those disciples that last night. He told them, one of you is going to betray me. And they asked the question, Lord, is it I? Is it I? He had taught them in his doctrine that Moses had given bread of the Old Testament. Manna had come down. But he said, Moses really didn't give you that bread. God did. But he said, I'm the living bread that comes down from heaven. And if you eat of this bread, you'll never die. He had taught them in his doctrine that there's going to be a new covenant, a new testament, a new plan from God, and that he was going to give his own blood, and that that cup that they were drinking was a symbol of the blood that he would give for the life of all men. As you partake of the elements here tonight, the symbol of the bread is a symbol of Jesus' choice to say, not my will but thine be done, and giving his life on the cross. As we pray in a moment, would you personally thank Jesus for giving his body? And we partake of this this cup is a symbol, a picture of Jesus' blood. I could have died on the cross for you, but my blood was not sinless. It couldn't have paid the price for my sins, much less yours. But Jesus' blood was perfect, the lamb without a spot. And when he shed his blood, God could accept that as payment for our sins. And he bore the sins of all mankind. As we pray in just a moment, would you thank Jesus for his blood that he shed? Now, as the Lord revealed that to the Apostle Paul, and he wrote it down in the letter to the Corinthians, he told them to do something. As we partake of the Lord's Supper, we do this in remembrance of what Jesus has done. And he pointed both directions. He said, as often as you partake of this bread and this cup, you remember the Lord's death, That's pointed back to Calvary until he comes. And that's pointed back to the the, the second coming of Jesus Christ. So tonight, he also told them, examine yourself. Before you partake of the cup and the bread, look at your heart and make sure it's right with Jesus. So I'm gonna ask you now to bow with me and let's examine our own personal heart in prayer before the Lord. Dear Jesus, I don't want to come to your communion table in an unworthy manner. If there's anything in my life, anything in my heart that I would partake of this cup and this bread in a way that's not pleasing to you, forgive me. Forgive anyone else here in this room. Take it out of our lives, Lord, whatever it takes. And prepare us, Lord, to partake of communion with a good heart. If someone's here tonight and you're not a member of this church, but you know Jesus and you love him, you're born again, we invite you to partake with us. 
You may be here tonight and you don't know Jesus. Oh, communion is not for unbelievers. I'd ask you to not partake of it here tonight unless you're ready to call upon his name and ask Jesus to save you. And now, Lord, we thank you for the bread, which was your body given for us. We thank you for the cup, which is your blood, the symbol of the perfect sacrifice that God was pleased with. Bless these elements, we pray in Jesus' name.